0: Raul, good evening, and it is probably, what, good morning-ish or late good morning for you in in that way, but it's it's nice talking to you, and it's exactly a week since we opened this uh, exhibition, and uh, we've had fantastic, I think, about five or six hours of conversations besides the long years of conversations that we have had, which were specifically focused on the research material that I needed as a curator, one needed to reflect on many things regarding your practice along with you and in many ways I think we are, uh, we are here to continue some of those conversations and these conversations we are also sharing with a larger audience where there are many students, many, many, many architects, young and old. But also, I think uh, there has been a general interest amongst audiences who are not specifically architects, but are interested in looking at an exhibition that we have just put together a week week ago. So, Rahul, let me begin by uh, asking you, because as a curator, I've had many thoughts and reflections since this last one week, especially when you see the exhibition as a product emerge in a space. And very often when I, when, I, uh, when I teach or talk about or do special lectures on exhibitions and curating, I share my very first experience where as a researcher I put an exhibition together and as much as I cursed myself for having to do physical work of putting an exhibition together besides simply sitting on a keyboard and, uh, and typing out an essay or a chapter, I, that was my very, very important moment where once the exhibition was up, and this was in, in, in Academy Schloss Solitude at Stuttgart, I realized that my research material reads very differently for me. And as a researcher, what I write and what I put together in an exhibition, the two things tell me different things about my research material, and my material either becomes richer. Or it becomes interestingly argumentative within within some of the finer details, and uh, I know you've you've sort of travelled back, but you had that one beautiful intense day once the exhibition was up. But you've been with us, and we've all as a as a team for a week, literally uh, shoulder to shoulder, put the exhibition together physically together there, all of us. I really want to ask you. What has it meant for you to put this exhibition together and then see it? I know that a few years ago, you also put an exhibition on the works of RMA at the GST Harvard as a faculty there. And that you all put it as RMA putting out its work with certain set of reflections. Here you also worked with a curator, you also worked with a design uh, consultancy team, So it's been a certain journey where somebody is constantly reflecting on what you have been doing or asking you questions or you asking questions. So the journey, I'm sure, has been has been different. And I would really like to hear from you on these aspects of putting this particular exhibition and what it meant to also see that exhibition once it was ready at 10 o'clock on the morning that we that we inaugurated.
1: Thank you, Kaivan. And great to be with you in this conversation. Uh, And in a conversation with such distance because we spent the last uh, week or the week before very intensely, literally shoulder to shoulder carrying and moving models, there was a kind of physicality involved, which I think was very intense and very satisfying. I also am very glad to hear that... uh, Uh, The audience is very broad uh, and it goes beyond professional architects. I think that really was partly the intent of the exhibition when we first talked about it. Uh, So I'm glad it opens up a broader conversation about the awareness of architecture. So that was wonderful to hear. Uh, The exhibition, as one reflects upon it, having, like you said, immersed myself very intensely for a day, uh, here are some thoughts that sort of uh, emerge. The first one, just as a starting point, Uh, The last exhibition we did on our work, or perhaps the only one before this, uh, was at the Graduate School of Design at Harvard University, where as a faculty, I was asked to share with uh, my peers, with people in the university, uh, and that was specifically the audience, our work. And uh, it was an exhibition we curated, or in some ways I curated, of course, with the help of students and things. But it was, now in retrospect, when I think about it, it was a very kind of objective, uh, let me say, cataloging in space of the projects, right? So every project was almost even through the design compartmentalized in different rooms using bamboo screens, so there was a porosity. Uh, And uh, the work was laid out in very objective terms because I was merely sharing uh, the work rather than interpreting it, correct? And I think that's the big difference with the curator. I realized at that exhibition, through the bamboo screens, uh, that when you stood in a room and you saw a project, you also got a glimpse of a project next to it, and it intrigued you and you went there. I think what you've done as a curator, specifically in this exhibition, which I think for me uh, has opened up uh, uh, some perspectives, let's say, is the way you have created that central table where these projects don't have that bamboo screen separating them now they're really in conversation they're really in co- they're intensely in conversation because depending on the perspective or where you position yourself on the table you either see, that project with another project sitting next to it and you make connections about similarities of elements or attitudes or you don't. So therefore, as you walk around that central table that you've set up where you've literally said the idea was that these projects began to have a conversation, they've they've all emerged from the studio where they are systematically kept on racks almost confined on racks with their own family members which is when i say family members i mean the different in, the, the, the 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 different avatars of the same project as it evolves they've suddenly all been bought on a table with seven other families talking to them and that conversation at some level is cacophony but at another level it's a very intense conversation and i think for me walking around that table explaining uh, evolution and connections between models, even in that 24 hours I was at the exhibition, kind of opened up uh, new perspectives, which of course intuitively one knew, uh, but here one could uh, articulate in 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 uh, you know in much finer ways and uh, and and objects like models. Models are objects; they're tangible. You see them in dimension. You see them in scale. Uh, and that conversation I think that the models are having is is very beautiful and you know maybe like Toy Story when the gallery is closed at night they all come alive and the louvers move (laughs) and they you know say different things to each other or they express their pain or pleasure I don't know and that would be a wonderful thing to think that like Toy Story they come alive at night
0: no, that's, that's, uh, that physicality, I think, is uh, what is very, very important, you know, whether it's... And I think what we have also managed and which one loves to draw attention to, from sort of textual material to drawing material to photographic material to the model material. But in a sense, the table of the model sort of holds the center uh, to, to all the elements that we have in the, have in the exhibition so thanks for thanks for sharing these uh, these thoughts and i think over the next two months uh, this is going to be a process where i think the exhibition is going to reveal itself every time we talk to talk to people because i also like you know whether you do uh, walks in the city uh, as a researcher or you do a walk in an exhibition audience responses also sort of help you understand that material and that's something being useful in the last uh, one week so Raul from From this uh, conversation, which I think will keep coming up again and again in the next few podcasts that we are going to discuss some of these issues. Uh, let's let's move to uh, some of the questions that we would like to talk about around your practice, around your work as an work as an architect. And since we are sort of uh, sitting across cities, different cities and different continents, uh, what I would love to sort of uh, hear from you is in terms of an experience, what has it meant? You, you came to Bombay at some point in time as a, as a child, you've grown up in Bombay. Bombay has been sort of the, the space of action, uh, the city of action uh, for you. Even if you're sitting in Boston, you know, we can hear your voices, we can hear your work. Uh, through many books, uh, through many books that you keep producing, whether it it was the book with Shardad Vivedi on Bombay Cities Within, which is a constant reference book for many of us, or the extreme urbanism series that changes avatars and reappears talking to us about the city. But at the same time, there is the the academic space uh, that is uh, is somewhere else within which also there is a space of uh, action. And in between there is the city of Ahmedabad, you know, which has been your academic uh, space, your space of experience as a student, your space of experience as, as learning. As, as interactions with some of the people that, you know, most people in the country would sort of envy to have uh, studied with people like uh, Anand Rajay or uh, B.V. Doshi or Hasmukh Patel uh, and the range of other names uh, uh, in that sense. So if you would like to share as to what it has meant either a few years ago or today to have been across these uh, three cities at least.
1: Well, that's a complicated and expansive question. Uh, and uh, not an easy one to respond to. But, you know, I mean, I think one has to necessarily look at this in a kind of biographical sense uh, because, you know, one grew one grew up in a city like Bombay, uh, Bombay then, now Mumbai. Uh, and, uh, you know, one was uh, <laughs> till 17, one lived and studied there. And one absorbed the city or learned from the city uh, without being conscious about, what that learning was, right? One wasn't articulating it in any way. Uh, it was about, um, you know, socializing. It was about uh, uh, seeing transformation occur. Uh, I grew up in Cuff Parade and met the many avatars of Kaf Parade uh, and actually saw ra- land reclamations ha- happening as a 13 and 14-year-old, actually played cricket on the land reclamations before buildings like the President Hotel and others were made in the southern part of Mumbai and then suddenly see skyscrapers emerging from there. So one grew up in Mumbai, I would argue, perhaps in the decades of its greatest transformation in physical terms, right? As an an expansive growth uh, of the city. But of course, one absorbed all of that without uh, seeing or discerning the patterns in any way or being able to articulate it, of course. One wasn't thinking about it in those terms, right? Uh, but one re- recalls very much the plural plural kind of experiences, the diversity of the city, the coexistence. Those were already beginning to, I think, become very important formative um, uh, right. moments or experiences, right? And then one had the blessing of going to a place like Ahmedabad, uh, to study, which was completely different being on the sept campus in 1976, arriving there as a 17-year-old or a 16-year-old actually, uh, arriving oh. there, uh, you know, and sitting under neem trees and drinking tea with peacocks frolicking around, uh, beautiful buildings uh, that, you know, that Doshi had designed for the school or different people had uh, contributed to perhaps at different stages. Uh, and it, it was it was it was like actually for a sixteen-year-old it was like entering a completely different world, hmm. uh, a world where uh, you know the 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 tangibility. architecture of space and then studying it uh was it it was just mind-boggling and in many ways i i feel even in those formative years mumbai had or bombay had 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 really prepared me for this in an incredible ways because bombay does have beautiful architecture i mean you know look at the urban gesture of marine drive it's mind-boggling um you know, one grew up largely in South Bombay, right. uh, which had very good architecture. One, of course, experienced going growing up mm. Juhu, which was really a weekend resort those days, very much like how Alibag is today. Yes. Uh, they were yet shacks with palm leaf roofs, yes. uh, you know, uh, etc. So one, one had experienced... Um, uh, multiple, let me say, spatial configurations, experiences, architecture, and so going to Ahmedabad and seeing it in such a distilled and purified form, and then being able to study there and acquire the tools by which one could actually discern, understand those patterns, and and spatially uh, appreciate things in different ways was really mind expansive and expanding, and therefore going back then to Mumbai, you know first for short visits but then for longer stays suddenly made me see the city differently and finally when I finished studying and decided to do my undergraduate thesis in Mumbai and immersed myself there for many 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 months suddenly it was like a, a different city it was like a it was like reading a storybook where you knew the language, you were not just looking at the pictures, right? So you were reading the text as well as the images. Uh, it was, I think, equivalent to that kind of experience uh, because it sort of, you know, there were nuances that sort of emerged and jumped out. And actually studying in Ahmedabad in those years between 76 and, let me say broadly, in Ahmedabad till 80 and with SEP till 85, was an important period even in SEPT's history because uh, there was a transition of leadership. Uh, Hasmuk Patel, you know, took over. Bibi Doshi. I know. I remember seeing him just once in the four years I was there, and I met him uh, finally the day I was presenting my thesis. He happened to be at SEPT, and Anand Raja introduced me to him. So I had maybe two encounters with him in the five years or six years I was, you know, involved with SEPT. And uh, so it was a whole new um, generation that was coming Mm -hmm. in. And so while we were in this very kind of, uh, let me say, aesthetically stable or overarching condition of Korb, Louis Kahn, Doshi, beautiful buildings, uh, the people who we were really dealing with, We're coming from mind-bogglingly different perspectives. Gemini Mehta had just come back from New York and he had introduced us, or from Philadelphia and he had introduced us to the New York Five. We were looking at Eisenman's work. I'm talking about 77, 78. Uh, You know, we had people like Aldo Van Eyck, Paolo Soleri, Buckminster Fuller uh, also lecturing there. In my first year, I heard those three great names. It was like just, I mean, I can't tell you how amazingly uh, mind-blowing that was uh, I can in, imagine. In, in, in some ways. you know, But there was also a very um, uh, grounded set of professors like Vasavra, Satsangi, Ekbote, uh, These were people who had all worked with Louis Kahn uh, and were really into material, into making, into the rigor of architecture. There was Kulbushan and Meena Jain, who introduced us to another landscape of looking seriously at our tradition, at historical cities. And, 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 and even introducing the culture of documentation. Uh, so, you know, and of course, Anand Rajay, I worked with uh, quite a lot with my final, my final uh, design yeah. thesis as well, my final written thesis. So, it, it, I, I mean, one feels completely blessed that, uh, uh, you know, that one was exposed to an array of people uh, so different from right. each other. Uh, and therefore, it provided us with the lenses uh, that we could at will change uh, to see value in different things, right? So one could appreciate what Gemini Mehta was telling us about, you know, uh, the work that was now emerging uh, at the intersection of late modernism and the early moments of post-modernism. But you also had someone like Kulbushan Jain who who could show you a jharoka in jaisalmer and a whole other world would open up or vasavda who would you know talk about materiality he did this incredible studio on materials in our second year where we took each of us took one material and explored it to the point we made a prototype using it and i remember i took bamboo which opened up all sorts of other possibilities but vasavda also talked about urban questions and urban design and he was involved with the old city of Ahmedabad and we did wonderful urban design sorts of studios. Anyway, the point is, I think I was very blessed that from SEPT I I was provided the lenses that I could simultaneously appreciate both the modern and the tradition. I could simultaneously understand and appreciate the histories and the values of modernism uh, in a particular moment in the history of this country but also be able to take a traditional environment and extract amazing learnings and inspirations from it i really thinking back i couldn't say this so confidently but really it was that foundational education uh, that uh, was critical and so with that to come back to bombay or mumbai was like suddenly the whole city meant something else and the city opened up you know a whole lifetimes work actually because it it showed me all the possibilities of things that one could study, be inspired by, but also as a way to give back and to communicate. And I think those values were very important looking back.
0: Thanks, Rahul, uh, for taking us through that journey, especially focusing on SEPT and Ahmedabad. And I think in asking you about three cities, there was also the question of the biography as the self and the person that sort of moves across places and develops perspectives across places and uh, and issues. But could we uh, could we sort of uh, uh, request you to continue talking about being in Bombay in the 19, uh, 1990s? I think in the exhibition also we specifically focus on this moment because. As we have all sort of agreed from many intellectual and research positions, that the 1990s is a turning point, not only for India, but for the world in many ways. Whether we look at economics or or politics or the scene with, uh, with culture and cultural institutions, cultural practices. So there is, it's a tumultuous decade at many levels, but at the same time for you, it was the decade where you're sort of putting a practice together you're giving you're giving shape to a young a new new practice literally founding uh, founding your practice in that in that sense but these are also the very critical years in which uh, you become very important for the scene in bombay specifically but also i think uh, for india at large where you generate uh, through various different platforms whether it is the udri the Urban Design Research Institute in Mumbai, whether it's collaborations with the Goethe Institute in Mumbai, you you generate through conferences, through organizing lecture series on architecture, urban development, conservation, a whole discourse around the city. So, in many ways, I think uh, a lot of us have spoken very often about, you know, how we know one life of Rahul and there's another parallel life of Rahul, or somebody knows the other parallel life of Rahul, Uh, Rahul as the practitioner. Uh, doing projects in an architecture studio. And Rahul as the, as the public activist, the researcher, who is uh, shaping a public sphere uh, in Bombay, even doing things like setting up the Kalagoda uh, Association and the Kalagoda Arts Festival, which till today runs as a major, major fulcrum space for various city issues and bringing people from the city together. So one is, I would, I would like you to comment on this sort of uh, two sides of a life at one level, continuing with the biography, but in that way also focus on what it meant to be in Bombay in the 1990s.
1: Thank you, Kaiwan. And I mean, that's a very expansive question and beautifully articulated. Uh, I'm going to take the liberty of actually filling in a gap of about, uh, let me say, five years Uh, between the time in Ahmedabad and coming uh, and starting life here in Mumbai from 1990. And those five years are very critical because I think uh, now in retrospect, when I think about it, those really prepared me. And I just want to flag out a few things that I think uh, I'd like to recollect uh, in a way to clarify, uh, you know, how one actually began to engage with practice in the way you've been Uh, uh, you've been provoking me to think about right Uh, so I kind of graduated in 85 uh, in Ahmedabad and I'm not exaggerating but I I literally uh, defended my thesis uh, and uh, uh, it it was actually an incredible day because I uh, defended my thesis uh, at I think uh, uh, 2, a, 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. Uh, with Professor Rajay and I think he had called Kamo Ayer as a visiting uh, uh, reviewer of my thesis and I can't remember there were one or two other faculty uh, and then uh, uh, so it was actually my really my first introduction formally to uh, Kamu Ayer. I'd met him when I was researching Batley and talk to him a little bit but uh, you know here he was in a formal capacity evaluating it and uh, and then we finished and they congratulated me and I came out and there happened to be B.V. Doshi who I had never really met uh, I mean I'd seen him at the school twice in mm. the seven years I'd been except uh, but I'd never actually met him and Raja introduced me to him and said that, uh, you know, I was a student who had studied Batley and, you know, Batley was sort of, uh, of course, at the JJ school when Doshi must have been there, etc. And so Doshi said, oh, that's very interesting. I had no idea and this, that and the other and very spontaneously uh, said, come and have tea with me in the evening uh, and come to my house. And I was on, uh, getting on the Gujarat mail that evening because I was flying out to America three or four days later. Uh, and I needed this uh, one graduation certificate to finish all my other paperwork right. to get my visa to go to the university. So it had kind of squished into a very tight time frame. I think it might have been a week or 10 days. Uh, and normally I would have, you know, postponed going and met with him. But I told him I was taking the Gujarat mail. And so in any case, with bags and baggage on my way to the station, I stopped at his house and had a cup of tea and went to the station. That was my, let me say, only real encounter meeting Doshi. And that was literally... After I had graduated, technically. So it's sort of, uh, it's, I could, so I could say I interacted with Doshi after I graduated of SEPT and I didn't see him at SEPT right through my studies there. Uh, So rather metaphorical in some ways, but, um, but anyway, uh, I actually then didn't really experience Mumbai, although I had spent a lot of time Hmm. there in the three years doing my thesis But I literally then flew out to study in Boston, and it was two years of a very intense urban design immersion, so it was expansive in the way uh, it began to give one a completely different gaze, because one had, uh, in Ahmedabad, of course, learnt about engaging with the city, but really through the lens of an architect. And I think the urban design program helped me greatly uh, to decouple that, which is to really place myself between planning that means move a little away from the spectrum of architecture but not into planning but somewhere in between and that was for me actually i realized in retrospect the perfect uh, position Uh, i had originally in aspired to study planning and had applied to many planning schools some i'd gotten into some i hadn't but i got into all the urban design programs and now again in retrospect it makes me think that obviously my portfolio reflected that interest more than the interest in planning but in any case in some ways it was fortunate that i got put in that position but it was an interesting two years and after i graduated i you know, had the one-year work visa, and I decided to work, and I worked with uh, a firm called Stull & Lee. Uh, These were two African-American architects um, who were doing a whole range of work. They were doing infrastructure, they were doing schools, uh, they were doing dorms for universities, Uh, they were working with many communities, and David Lee was the partner I worked with. I was an intern, very low-key, really in the background, Um, you know, I, uh, 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 but it was actually a transformative experience because those 11 or 12 months I worked there. I was only observing because it was opening me up into a completely new world. Having come to America for the first time, I'd never visited America. I spent two years on the campus. I was very insulated on the campus. I would have left America thinking every American carried a backpack if I hadn't worked in the city. Uh, and I worked with this uh, African-American architect who, you know, I would go with them, with the firm people to set up boards for community meetings uh, in places like Rox- Roxbury, Jamaica Plains. These were places that were upcoming. Uh, they were, you know, not the richest neighborhoods. Um, they were, you know, the contents, contested territories, but also largely African-American, which means there was marginalization, there were inequities that became very visible. But I saw David Lee, you know, present at these community meetings and engage, and it really opened up an other mode, which in many ways I felt, and it resonated deeply with me as being more relevant to what I could apply uh, in India when I went back. Because what i had studied was a very formal version of urban design, and one where architecture is the central instrument by which a city is imagined. Uh, And I had also reacted to that a little bit in my studies because my master's thesis was about looking at the soft city, which then later developed into ideas about the kinetic city. My thesis was titled uh, One Space and Two Worlds and Bombay. Uh, And I was basically in my mind trying to reconcile in very abstract ways the... uh, uh, the polarity, the disparity, the evident, uh, you know, the existence of two completely different worlds but in one space. In the colonial diagram, they were in two spaces because you had the cantonment and you had the native town or the traditional town. But now my argument in that thesis was these had slipped into one space and therefore then what does a designer do? Because when it was traditional town, you worked as a traditionalist and when you were in the cantonment, you worked with different European standard but if it existed in the same space and one of the chapters there was called bazaars and Victorian arcades where one had emblematically reconciled uh, you know these two worlds in one space which then went on to be developed as articles that led to the kinetic city, uh, etc. So I just flagged that out because it was a very important set of experiences, both what I did for my thesis, but also my working uh, with uh, with, uh, uh, with with David Lee uh, in, uh, uh, in in Boston. Uh, and uh, also the other big influence at that time was Salman Rushdie, because my thesis was actually in terms of format, it took Salman Rushdie's quotations and kind of ran parallel texts. So, the idea was that uh, the lens of a novelist gives you a reading of the city, you know, when he describes the rituals where the tetrapod is imagined as a phallic symbol and people begin praying to it, etc. And so, I was trying to uh, uh, reconcile what I was calling the soft city, and the readings through multiple lenses of what the city might mean uh, and of course it was a clumsy piece of work uh, because it was a master's thesis uh, but clearly there were many thoughts that came out of that that stayed with me for a long time anyway after working i came back um, uh, to uh, to mumbai I met um, uh, Charles Correa I think really for the first time when he visited to give a lecture in Boston and he was at Harvard at 87 I yet have the poster from that lecture hanging Mm -hmm. now in my office Mm -hmm. in Boston Um, but I met him he had just finished the National Commission uh, for Rajiv Gandhi so I remember he gave us a copy of the reports to put in the library Mm -hmm. Uh, but then I chatted with him a a, a great deal and you know got to know him a little bit and uh, And at that point, he suggested that, you know, they had just got the project for the permanent mission of the United Nations, the PMI building in New York. And he said, you know, if you're interested in a job, if you're coming back, uh, this would be a good project for you to work on because, you know, you're familiar with the American situation. And I finally did decide to go back um, uh, and, uh, and then, you know, waited a few months and then took a job with him and worked with him and so in a sense that was my landing uh, in back in, in india and it i worked there for i would think two and a half years maybe just under 3 years mm. and then of course when uh, chinu and i decided yes. to nandita and i decided to get married i decided that you know i've got a separate life and work uh, and i i i quit uh, but i think the 3 years of working there were also as instrumental in developing these future ideas as working with David Lee was because David Lee exposed me to ways of community engagement. He exposed me to what uh, a practice like that can do, balancing, you know, social commitments, but also, you know, larger scale projects, et cetera. Uh, and it was a scale of office of about 25, 30 people, so it was a medium-sized office. With Charles Correa's office, it was much smaller. Uh, but I, you know, got a first-hand exposure. Uh, to someone who was also reconciling not so much teaching but reconciling his interests in writing and activism and being a public figure and pushing the cause of architecture but also practice. But I think what I learned Mm. the most from that office was uh, the procedures of practice and the ethical values, and etc. that go with practice. Um, I learned very much... um, Uh, just Mm -hmm. the processes I mean whether it was pragmatic processes of you know the stages of design through tender through construction but also the sorts of relationships Mm -hmm. uh, one has to develop within the larger ecology of construction in India you know because he did probably uh really hard projects. I mean, really complicated government projects. And, you know, it's amazing when I think back what he made of those projects as ideas. Uh, you know, I mean, taking on the Vidhan Bhavan. I mean, I've been at meetings with him. You know, it's, it was just uh, the most complicated things to pull off, uh, you know, given the kinds of explorations he did. And one was also exposed to the, the notion that you know, which was the exhibition that Nandita did on buildings as ideas. <laughs> uh, the idea, the idea that you need an idea for a building, uh, you know, and then in a complex territory like India, how that idea becomes your guiding light, uh, because otherwise there's so many compromises you can make along the way. So let me say, uh, I think with those three years at, in Charles's office, one learned. Uh, professionalism I think in uh, that's the way I would put it it it, it taught me what it means to be a professional and therefore a professional architect Uh, but it also gave me the confidence uh, or gave me the insight let's say that articulating your views through writings was also self nourishing in the way you could propel yourself uh, especially within a very complex condition uh, like India so Let me say those were the instruments of professionalism in a sense uh, that one, you know, picked up at, I suppose, the highest intensity possible. So I think those were things that I believe prepared me incredibly well. And so in 1990, a chance occurrence, which allowed us to be appointed for the Jangirad Gallery, or resulted in us being appointed for Mm -hmm. the Gallery became I think a moment I thought this is a good time to start a practice Uh, and one you know started and of course it was uh, uh, there were a couple of houses in the pipeline which is uh, Purvi Parekh who had approached me even while I was working in Charles's office for a house and I said, look, I can't, I can't do that because I'm working. I've got a job, and it's, I can't be, you know, moonlighting. So she said, I'll wait. Whenever you start your practice, you just knock on my door, and you have got a house to do. So I knew we had one house in the pipeline, and uh, very soon after that, uh, the Jaisingh mariwala house in Mahalashwari came along. And we had the Jangir Art Gallery and that became the first three projects that kept us going for I would think almost a year or a year or two and then smaller things began to come along but it was just me and one other person and Sanjeev Bajaj was the first employee Uh, and um, you know and uh, yeah and one thing led to the other.
0: Wonderful Rahul. Uh, No this was it was really nice to hear you on this bridge years and uh, i think in an indirect way then it sort of makes it very clear that the way things progress in the 1990s where on the one hand you're drawing uh, plans for the Fort precinct or working on the heritage legislation which gets passed in the 19 mid 1990s 1995 precisely or you're sort of uh, soon writing bombay cities within along with charada Vivedi. but at the same time there is a there is an interesting set of projects uh, that are that are growing from the three that you mentioned to many others uh, mm. which i which i very often see also as projects that begin to define uh, what we call the new India, the new city, the post-liberalisation cities and landscapes of uh, of the India of India's built uh, built environment. But it was it was interesting to to hear about at one level this question of community, questions of equity, and uh, also I think something that you pointed out uh, we should sort of keep for maybe discussion at a later point is this question of what does it mean to be a professional. In, in in ways, whether it is shaping yourself as a professional who has a process of duly delivering a service but at the same time in the process of duly delivering a service what are the other things that you're dealing with at a human level, at a social level, at a citizen level? And I think these are the, these are the things that slowly, slowly, really emerge very importantly in your, in your work. And I think which is why at the exhibition also, the chronology and the multiple readings we produce of the chronology really become, uh, become important, important for us. So uh, if I, if I uh, just sort of uh, ask you, to describe some of the key important projects at the beginning of the at the beginning of your practice at the beginning of setting up uh, rma architects as a studio uh, would you be able to identify two or three crucial projects which which you feel were important in the way the studio began to shape its uh, its direction its work and obviously this may you may have had certain realizations at that moment or it may be in retrospect but it will be nice to know the struggles and, and how you think of them 20 years, 30 years down the line?
1: Kaivan, I, you know, I, I, I mean, I think it's it's a very interesting question because uh, as you were asking the question, I was thinking about uh, about about projects, and they uh, actually, if I had to, uh, you know, make a bundle of the projects that were influential, I could, you know, talk about three or four. And actually, it's an interesting question because it also now makes me think suddenly when I think of those four or five projects right, right. that they were so seminal as ideas that then, you know, over many other projects developed. And uh, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting reflection for any practice to have, have because I do believe and, uh, and some people might not believe this, but I do oh. believe that ideas travel, ideas evolve. Um, You know, uh, they are values and ideas which take on different manifestations and therefore to be aware of them is very important. So, you know, uh, our first project was the Art Gallery, uh, which was a different kind of experiment and, you know, I I, I believe a lot of people never understood the project and I clearly know that the client never embraced it because the person who really appointed us died before we could even start work and uh, they were sort of stuck with us. But you know, it was an interesting challenge where uh, a gallery that large had only one entrance because Samoa was occupying the veranda and they couldn't let it function viably as Uh, one gallery, so they wanted it to be four galleries. So how do you make four galleries with one entrance uh, and yet have enough visibility that people would be intrigued enough to go to the last gallery? And that's how we came up with the idea of the remo- uh, the revolving partitions so that it could work as one gallery and it could also become like a series of layers, like you have very much in, you know, Mughal architecture and traditional temples that you, you see beyond, but you discover it when you turn the corner. So it became this idea of having these three sets of screens which would go into these permutations and combinations and be quite exciting. The lighting was done for that too. And then I had also found that why are we stuck with the white box and I found why are artists all doing rectangles and squares Mm -hmm. and that had intrigued me because it uh, you know I just thought uh, that was just a a kind of naughty moment where I said let's frustrate the artists by provoking (laughs) them with shapes so that's why we did those those platforms with shapes. They interlock to become very calm Mm -hmm. but -hmm. when they're separated they have their own presence. And I thought, uh, you know, and many artists hated it and some yeah. loved it. And as mm-hmm. I've said, in working in Mumbai, I think Hussain really understood it and made the whole gallery an in- in- installation uh, instead of, uh, you know, um, <laughs> responding just to form anyway. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it was a great learning for us. So for me, it wasn't, in mm-hmm. my own view, a significant architectural project, but per-, per se, but through that provocation, It opened up a whole world to me because every artist knew me. A lot of the artists my age, like uh, uh, Atul Dodia and others, came in contact with me. I think it was through the gallery that I even met Ranjit Hoskote and others for the first time. So it became actually a public it was the most public venue uh, in uh, Mumbai, in all of Mumbai in 1999. Between Samoa and that, I had studied for a year in Elphinstone College so I knew that ecology like at the bottom of my, at the tip of my fingers in a sense right. Uh, so it was something uh-huh. I was familiar with and suddenly to have intervened in a space which one grew up with uh-huh. uh, you know from Elphinstone hanging out in Samoa for that whole year before going to study architecture. This is as a 16 year old, 17 yes. year old Yes, it was mind boggling. So, it actually the main thing that came hmm. out of the Jangirat Gallery as the first project was a connection to a forum and to also understand the Kalaghora area. I remember, you know, the museum and Jangirat Gallery were very, very terrible legal battles, which I was not even aware of. And when I started work at the Jangirat Gallery, Gorek Shakar stormed in and started screaming at me. Uh, and uh, anyway, we then it, he calmed down. We started talking. We established we had some common friends. And the next thing I knew, I was having tea with him uh, in the Prince of Wales Museum. And he called up uh, Mr. Bodhe, who was a senior architect, who was their architect, the museum's architect. And said, "I want you to meet this young man." And I was sent off to Bode's office, who advised me how to go about it. He got me the sanctions for Jangir Art Gallery. We became very good friends. I got introduced to the museum. So you know, it's, it's some of these things are they have other effects uh, that if you're if you're open to and you're prepared for you embrace them and it opens up other worlds. So for me, Jangirath Gallery was about the opening up of multiple worlds, which finally led to the Kala Association, which finally led to you know, getting involved with the fort area, which led to many things we've all done together, correct? The other project that I think... Uh, so that, that project, the Jangirath Gallery, in a sense, had a public dimension, right? The The other project, the other two or three projects that were very significant for me uh, were uh, both Purvi Parik's house and the Mariwala house, which were our first two projects, because we kind of really had clients who were willing to experiment with the idea of what a weekend house would be. So this whole interest in rethinking what a weekend home is versus a city house, I think comes from the conversations I had with those two clients. And both those were interesting experiments, both in materials and in, uh, uh, in location and you know, all of that. The other one that, that in that early bucket of projects was the facade we did for the Mafatlal Company in Prabhadevi. Those were two uh, modernist buildings which were in very bad shape, and the client wanted to knock them down to build one high-rise building of eight floors. And we managed to convince them that instead of knocking it down, let's restore it and connect it with a facade so you have a lot of presence. Uh, and so that opened up my thinking actually in conservation. And adaptive reuse and all it wasn't through the gothic buildings and through the victorian architecture of mumbai but it was really through that building that i began to see the value of adaptive reuse and began to start looking at that literature but it was through a very kind of contemporary modern building uh, that that occurrence happened so for me when i look back that was the moment where and that's why my attitude as you know to conservation has always been much more nimble because it's, it's not driven by nostalgia. It was driven by the logistics of resources. It was driven by the logistics that God, if we just connected this with a facade and didn't have to demolish it, we won't have to go through sanctions, we won't have to go through the corruption of the BMC, we won't have to do X, Y, and Z, and this will be a quick project. I was almost thinking about it like an interior designer would to do a quick project and turn around. And, you know, so it it started exposing me that, my God, there are other possibilities. Why take everything for face value? Uh, And it gave me the confidence to think a little bit out of the box in terms of even dealing with clients. And that project, came to us not through the Mafatlals, who I didn't know, I mean, I, I you know, I, I didn't really, they weren't people who approached us. It was a engineering firm of Bhagwati and Company. Uh, Naveen Bhagwati was a structural consultant, and his firm were, consultants to the Mafatlals and they were beginning to explore this building and how they could readapt it for offices etc to rent out and they approached us that look can you do something with a facade or can you help us with an eight-story building what are the possibilities and so it was from left field uh, but it gave me the confidence that look these are interesting ways one can do things kind of differently. At that point, we also got approached for a project that we were in some ways not prepared for. It was a project for a factory for Ecomax. Ecomax was a company that was run by a uh, 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 Mr. Dhanukar, who happens to be Prafula Dhanukar, the artist's husband. And Prafula, also I had met through the Jangirad Gallery collections. Uh, and, uh, and it was a large factory, which had an office, a factory, and housing and what we did was a very interesting project we did the factory like a factory we did the office with tiled roofs and verandas and courtyards and we did the housing using you know a different Kind of paradigm of, of clusters and things, but a totally different vocabulary. So, one vocabulary of the factory was industrial, the vocabulary of the office building was courtyards with sloping manglar tile roofs, and the vocabulary of the housing was uh, uh, flat slabs and you know, they were blocks with terraces and things like that. And what we did was we took a façade to connect them all and this came kind of out of the Mafatlal façade project. So from the street you see this long façade which undulates with the super graphics which says Ecomax. And then you see these three portals and from each portal you enter a different world. One is a world uh, of an industrial kind of uh, space, one is a world which is... You know comforting for an office and one is a domestic world of a different scale Uh, and so uh, it i think that was another interesting experience which made me think about the simultaneous validity of different approaches and then finding mechanisms to tie it all together these are very abstract ideas but i would argue that they kind of they resurfaced in many projects even today you know, and so they were formative. I suppose one was young, one was, you know, charged up, one was wanting to explore ideas. Uh, and, uh, you know, having worked in Charles Courier's office where every project had to have a, you know, a really good driving idea, uh, one began to articulate this. And I think, um, for me, those were very foundational projects uh, for the firm.
0: No, that's that's very interesting at two, three levels because I was again simultaneously thinking while you were speaking. One is that, you know, when we are doing one level of reading of the chronology uh, and picking up what I call the short stories, one of them is the facade. And uh, clearly it's an idea that is, uh, it's an architectural element that is taking shape. Uh, very specifically right from the very early years of the practice very early very early projects but also in the way you're describing many of these projects I think it's it's also indicative as to one is the changing nature of projects that architects would face in the last 20-30 years with that moment but also the nature of approach to architecture practice and it's it's not it's not the practice that sort of Uh, uh, the college and the studio prepares where there is a where there is a defined site there is a defined program or there is a defined client and all you do as an architect is is then put a building to building together but in many ways it is in the it is in the interstices of existing uh, existing fabrics existing relationships existing networks that actually projects are projects are taking shape and I think it's It's evident uh, later in your own studios that you shape as an academic, which also sort of turn into the series of books, the extreme urbanism books, where clearly the shaping of a studio, the shaping of a studio as an academic, as a pedagogic exercise, you clearly uh, whether consciously subconsciously you are drawing in many ways from small experiences to even larger experiences whether it's an extreme urbanism dealing with the redevelopment of dongri area in uh, in bombay so i think i think it, uh, many things come out from these early early experiences the way you describe them especially the process of way the projects emerged and they got handled and dealt At the design level, rather than pure design questions or pure context questions, but they interweave into into each other. This podcast has been produced by Girthi Institute, Max Muller Bhavan, Mumbai, and Architecture Foundation. The views and opinions expressed are those of the speakers and not of the producers. It is produced as part of the exhibition Architecture of Practice, Research Reflections and Reformulations on 30 Years of RMA Architects, curated by Kaivan Mehta. The exhibition is on till 31st December 2021 at Goethe Institute, Muller Bhavan, Mumbai.